Thank you. You may be seated. I feel much safer here than over there. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, this is, yeah. If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel. We'll look at the last part of chapter 8, so verses 48 through 59. We're finishing up chapter 8 uh, this morning. Uh, the text is also printed in the bulletin for you, and there's some Bibles available on the back table if you need one by the children's um, supplies. <clears throat> so um, it seems like we've, we've talked about this before. It, it baffles me when people insist that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, some, there's some scholars, biblical scholars, who insist such things, and there's some people in the world who think he never claimed to be God, that he was a good teacher, a great man, but he's not aware of himself as uniquely divine. Uh, they insist that. It doesn't take too much scrutiny of the Gospels to discover that actually, uh, no, he's making that claim all the time, and his opponents understand him to be making that claim, and that claim is ultimately their reason for killing him. I'm not sure how you could deny that he's claiming to be God when uh, that's the reason why they, they strung him up. So <clears throat> here, here we have one of the clearest, most obvious instances of Jesus claiming divine origin, claiming actually to be God himself when he says in verse 58, uh, before Abraham was, I am, I am. Uh, it's pretty profound. Uh, he's not just talking about his um, supra-temporal pre-existence. Notice he doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Um, but he says, I am. He's not just talking about some fact that he's outside of time and that he has this being uh, outside of time, but he's using God's own self-designation. That's the key thing. This is the way God has identified himself in the Old Testament. He's the one who is. He's the one who has being. He says, I am that I am. He's the one who is and who was and who is to come. And Jesus uses that language with reference to himself several times in John's gospel. So you can't get away with the assertion that he's, uh, you know, he's just this or that without any self-awareness of being divine. Right? He knows he's God. Jesus is the Lord God. He knows it, and he says it. It's actually a very central part of his teachings, and it's what he came to reveal. This is the heart of the good news. When Jesus says, I am God. This should just blow our minds. This is good news. And yet here, really, is the height of the conflict that we've seen through chapters 7 and 8. It isn't when Jesus calls them sons of the devil that they pick up the stones. We looked at that last week, a bit of hard words that Jesus gave to us last week. <clears throat> but it's not when he says, you're sons of the devil. That, that, that wasn't the final straw for them. They kept arguing with him about it. But it's when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that's when their enemies lose their composure. Apparently, it means something to them. And it threatens them to the degree that they respond to Jesus with sinful, murderous hostility. That was the final straw when he said that. So we have to understand what it is he's really saying here. What it is that, that set them off. Why does it bother them so much that he claims to be God? Can't you just dismiss somebody who's saying stuff like that? Just kind of blow them off? Why does it bother them so much? Why does it bother, bother everyone? The way that it does, 
When Jesus claims to be God, why does it bother everyone so much so that people feel the desperate need to insist that it isn't true? He wasn't actually claiming that, to pretend it away, to explain it away. What's so wrong with Jesus being God? Or maybe the better question is, what's wrong with us that we can't stand that thought? Those are the kinds of things we'll talk about this morning. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, your word doesn't come to us in a vacuum. It comes to a world of darkness, a world that is set against you, a world characterized by its resistance and rebellion against you, our hostility toward you. That's, uh, that's the way we are, left to our own devices. We don't want to hear what you have to say to us, and yet you have spoken definitively, especially in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And this really is good news, if we can hear it. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would grant us your spirit who enables us to see who you really are and what you're saying to us in Jesus Christ as we read it this morning in your Holy Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this public conversation, that's what it is, it's Uh, taking place out in the open, so to speak. It's taking place in the temple uh, uh, during the Feast of Booths. And Jesus has been proclaiming some glorious truths about himself. He says things like, if anyone is thirsty, uh, let him come to me and drink. He invites them to come to him and receive the Holy Spirit of God and have the Holy Spirit of God flowing out of their hearts. He's the light of the world. He reveals God to humanity. He's the one who sets people free from their slavery to sin. He's the Savior. He's saying these things in the temple to the Jews, the people of Israel, with whom God has dealt as his own special people for millennia. It's a long time. 
These are the people of all the people in the world whom God has been preparing through his interactions, through his revelation, to be able to hear him and recognize him when he finally comes into the world. God's been working with these people, getting them ready. And here he is. Here he is. He's come, and he's speaking the truth of God to them, and they can't hear him, and they don't recognize him. And they argue with him, and they insult him. There's no worse insult that you could have gotten, uh, no worse insult that they could have thrown at him than you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Uh, They accuse Jesus, who really is God in the flesh, they accuse him of being possessed by God's demonic enemies. And, um, like Samaritans, accused him of corrupting the true worship of God, undermining the true worship of God, lying about who God really is. Jesus doesn't get defensive when they throw this accusation at him. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't lash back in order to vindicate himself. Peter <clears throat> talks about this. I mean, he, he was there as a witness to these things, and he says in First Peter chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So Jesus answered, uh, without getting defensive or lashing back in vindication, Jesus answered, I don't have a demon. Emphasis on the I there, maybe implicit. I'm not the one here who has a demon. Um, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. He's entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus isn't desperate to satisfy them as judges. He's not desperate to satisfy them as to his true nature. He doesn't need them to understand who he is so that he'd be vindicated through their opinion of him. He isn't basing his identity on their giving him what he's due. Either they recognize him or they don't. He can only be who he is and tell them what he knows and ultimately trust the Father's judgment about all of it. He isn't the one acting like a demon He isn't the one acting like an enemy of God. He honors God. Jesus always does. He's the only one who ever lived this life without sin because he perfectly obeyed his Father in every way. You've got to take him at his word. You've got to receive his word. You've got to keep it. That's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, and this this is language, again, you see a lot in John's Gospel. We see it twice in our passage this morning, and it really does sort of harken back to Old Testament somewhat archaic phrases like, thus saith the Lord, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone believes me when I say my relationship with God is perfect, I honor my Father. You don't, I do. If anyone believes that, If anyone recognizes that this is the true revelation of God, if anyone abides in this revelation and makes his home in my gospel and in my teachings, if anyone listens to me with faith, listens to me with trust that makes a difference in his life, then he'll have eternal life. Jesus isn't promising that believers will be spared from physical death. 
He's talking about eternal death, the way that we see that in, in John's writings and in the scriptures, eternal death, the second death. <clears throat> it means separation from God. Ultimately, it means separation from God that continues forever. That's the death he's saying, you won't have to die. If you believe in me, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. Never. Never uh, is not the normal word for never here. There are just kind of sort of everyday words for never that could have been used. Uh, the, the original Greek here means into the age. It's the same language that's used for eternity. Right? You will not taste, you will not see eternal death. And this is reminiscent of God's covenant promise. This is reminiscent of God's word to humanity, to Adam in particular. When they were in the Garden of Eden, we said what it means for you to be in a good and right and propering, continuing relationship to God will be the keeping of his word. Here's my word about this fruit. If you break my word, you will die because you'll be wrenching yourself out of relationship with me. You'll be violating my word. You'll be throwing our relationship to the wind. You'll be spitting in my face if you don't keep my word about this fruit. And that means death. And implicit there in God's instruction to Adam was if you keep my word, you'll continue. You'll abide in relationship with me. And that means eternal life. So Jesus proclaims the covenant promise of grace in the clearest, most emphatic terms possible. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And in their resistance to that, I mean, apparently it didn't sound good to them. They weren't interested in it. In their resistance, his enemies go ad hominem. They throw a red herring and uh, they raise a straw man. These are fancy fancy logical terms for bad arguments. (laughs) They, They throw every bad argument back at him. The Jews say to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? The prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? So they've twisted his words. And Jesus wasn't talking about earthly immortality. Yes, of course, Abraham and the prophets died. That's what happens in this world now that sin has entered the world. We have a thing called physical death. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about eternal life and death, relationship with God. But they, they provide him here with an opportunity to really get to the heart of the matter. Who do you make yourself out to be? They ask him. Literally, who do you, you make yourself? Who do you make yourself? Jesus says, actually, that's just it. I don't. I don't make myself. That's not how I roll. In fact, I am greater than Abraham and the prophets because I am God, but I don't establish my own identity. I receive it. Jesus says, I don't make myself. I am who I am because of my Father. I don't glorify myself. My Father glorifies me. Jesus, that's what he says. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. 
It's my Father who glorifies me. So Jesus is saying that while it's normal for everyone else in the world to be self-centered, to look to create ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, to build our own identities, sometimes we use language like discover ourselves, but really it's create and build to determine for ourselves who we are, to be self-made. That's normal for everybody in the world. But that's not what it means for him to be who he is. That's not what it means for Jesus even to be God. Jesus is who he is because his Father glorifies him. And the alternative to that that we have all embraced, self-glorification, is no true glory. There's no glory in that. It's actually nothing. Jesus isn't being... He's, he's not being just dismissive of the idea of self-glorification. If he, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. That's nothing, you know. <clears throat> he's not just being dismissive. He's teaching what it essentially is. It's nothing. Spiritually speaking, self-glorification is literally nothing. If you would make yourself to be someone, if you would make yourself That's the path of nothingness that leads nowhere. There's no reality in that direction. It really isn't even a direction. It's an impossibility. Because Jesus reveals the God who is real. He's the God who is. He's the God who's behind all reality. And this God doesn't make himself. He doesn't make himself to be somebody. We're talking about the triune God. There's no other God behind all reality that you could talk this way about. We're talking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one being. One God, three persons. The Father doesn't have an identity apart from the Son. He wouldn't be a father if he didn't have a son. The Son doesn't have an identity that he hasn't received from the Father. He's received who he is from the Father. He is the Son of the Father. Not one is a self-made person, so to speak, but each one receives his identity and receives his glory from the other. In relationship, the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus identifies as God... He identifies as God, but that's not because he decided that. That's not because he determined that for himself. It's because of his Father. It's because of his relationship to his Father. Jesus isn't awesome because of who he is in and of himself. He's awesome because of his Father from whom he receives his identity, from whom he receives his glory. Even Jesus even the Son of God incarnate, even God himself. And if that's true of God, that his very being, his very identity, and his very glory is something mutually given and received and established among persons, then that says something pretty strong about us, pretty strong about humanity. We were made to be like him. But we're nothing like him. 
We're seeking our own glory. We want to be self-made. We want to determine our lives and our identity for ourselves. We want to get glory for ourselves. And faith in Christ is the only solution. It's the only remedy. It's the only alternative. We need to get outside of ourselves. We need to turn away from ourselves. We need to receive. We need to receive everything from God. We need to receive our very selves from God. We need to let him define who we are. Let him establish our identity. And even let him glorify us. And that comes as a gift, just like it did to Abraham, the father of faith. Abraham's mentioned a lot in John 8, and it's important. Jesus says, "Your, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So I think when we... When we read this, we have a tendency to think of this as a reference to maybe Abraham's soul watching from heaven as the Son of God went forth into the world and became incarnate, and Abraham was cheering along with all the rest of the host of heaven. Um, That probably happened. This is probably not a reference to that. Um, uh, You know, as, as Abraham's soul is watching the Son of God take on human flesh and come into the world, it's probably a reference to the fact that Abraham lived by faith in God's promises, he let God's word establish his reality. And he knew something about what God was like, and it made him glad. He knew something about this God that Jesus is revealing to us perfectly, and it made Abraham glad. Abraham had a little glimmer of the light of true knowledge of what God is like, of who God is, which the day of Christ would illumine and make clear and this is, this is what Abraham had a little glimpse of. God is not ultimately self-glorifying. He exalts the other. That's, who it, that's what it means for him to be who he is. The Father exalts the Son and glorifies the Son. And the Son exalts and glorifies and honors the uh, Father. So that's who God is in and of himself. And that's what he's like with us. Out of the blue, Abraham heard God send him out and promised to bless him and make him a blessing to others to extend blessings everywhere to give and exalt and glorify others. Just think, if this is the first audible voice that you hear from God, who is really God, he's the God behind all of reality, and the first thing God says is, I'm going to bless you. That's not what we would expect to hear. We would expect this God to say, you really should try to serve me better, right? You really should be more more interested in, in me. But this God comes and says, I'm interested in you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. Abraham was being treated like God's own son. He was being sent out of the home, filled with all the fullness of God, so that he could share it with everybody else. Abraham was being sent out on this mission And he believed that this was what God was really like. This is what he's really like. He's the God who blesses. He's the God who glorifies this Abraham guy. Out of all the people he could have picked, he picked Abraham. He's nobody. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to glorify you. God treats us like he treats his own son. Anytime God treats you like he treats his own son, you can know that the greatest privilege of it of it all for you is knowing this God and having something to say about him.
Abraham's joy, which Jesus is talking about here, his, his security, his hope, it only came in God's freely blessing him, in God being the kind of God who would take a nobody and say, I love you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing to all, all peoples. Everything Abraham had, everything he was, his very identity, his whole reality was something he received from this God. He let God tell him what his reality was, and he accepted it, and he believed it. He didn't insist on being a self-made man. Whenever he slipped into sin like that, his life started to fall apart. To make yourself, to be self-made people, to choose your own identity, and to refuse to hear God identify you through his word, to refuse to allow him to glorify you through his word and through his son, that's misery. That's misery. And we look to be somebody. We look to glorify ourselves. We use all kinds of things. Work, the things that we're able to achieve, things we're able to accomplish, the relationships we're in, romantic relationships, parent-child relationships, whatever. We're seeking to establish who we are. We're working really hard to make ourselves somebody And that leads to emptiness. That always leads to emptiness. That always leads to stress and frustration and exhaustion, deep exhaustion, loneliness, confusion. Ultimately, it leads to this thing we're trying to establish our own identity, and we lose it. We lose our identity, and we lose glory. We lose it all. But Abraham rejoiced. Abraham was glad because he received glory from God. He heard this word that God was going to bless him, and he believed it. He believed that that's what God is like. That's how reality is supposed to work because that's who God is. Absolutely. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, there could be nothing more important than me telling you this right now. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm the one who is and who was, and who is to come, I'm the ultimate reality. And if you want to know what real glory is like, you want to know what absolute being is, you look at me and you see that it's the glorification of the other and not the self. And it sure is good news that Jesus is who he is. It sure is good news. We need someone to keep God's word for us, to honor the Father. We need someone to do that in our place, We need someone to be in perfect relationship with God on our behalf to share that with us. We need someone who lives forever with God to share his life with us. We need someone to honor and glorify God even when it cost him everything. We need somebody to do that for us and then to receive all honor and glory from God as one of us for our sake. That's what we need. Can you accept that? Can you receive God's gift through Christ? Can you allow God to tell you who you are, what your reality is, what your destiny is? Can you allow God to tell you those things? Can you allow God to make you, not be self-made? Allow God to make you and bless you and glorify you? Self-made people can't handle gifts. 
They can't receive them very well. Here's Jesus right in front of these people in all of his glorious fullness, ready to bless, and they, they pick up stones to throw at him. They can't recognize God in Jesus Christ. They can't acknowledge him as the one that they need, as the one who makes them glad. Can you? Amen. Let's pray. Father, left to myself, I cannot receive the revelation of who you are, what you're really like, the way that reality truly is, the way that it's supposed to be. I cannot receive your word about me, and neither can my friends here, apart from your grace, apart from your gracious working of your Holy Spirit in us to change our hearts to be able to receive your word. We pray for that work now, that you would help everyone in this room to accept what you say about them and to receive your revelation about yourself. Please tell us what reality is like. Please tell us what it means to be in relationship with you. Please tell us what you are like. And um, we thank you that you have spoken this word again definitively, once and for all, with clarity through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to receive the revelation of all your goodness and to receive it as good and not reject it, not return um, hostility as these people did in the scriptures. This is what we're prone to do, but we pray that you would save us from ourselves. Save us from ourselves, Lord. That's what kind of God you are. You will do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.